rejoice in our sufferings. Which seems counterintuitive. That we should actually complain about suffering, you would think. And yet there's so much in the Word of God that speaks to the reality of suffering um, and our willingness to accept it. So I want to talk about that this morning, uh, but before that, I, I just want to, I want to say thank you to Candace and um, Matt and Sean for, for leading us in, in such great songs that talk about the reality of God and the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. Uh, simple songs with powerful truths, uh, so thank you. Um, I've had, um, I'm learning how to live a quite a relaxed life. I must say I have uh, found it very rewarding, freeing um, to be where I am. I, I'm really thankful um, for Chris and uh, Others within the church who are taking the leadership uh, in this time of transition. So, Chris, I thank you, and God bless you, and the lead team, and, and Mike, and Stephen, and others that continue to serve in this family of God. Uh, earlier this week, uh, we spent three days uh, just south of Asuyas. So, we were camping, and it was... Awesome. If you've ever been to Haynes Point, which is just south of Asuyas, it's this narrow strip of land that goes out into the lake. It's incredibly narrow. There's one little road that goes in, and it makes a little, one little loop. And so almost all of the campsites are right on the lake. So it's amazing to sit there in your lawn chair and to stare out either towards the U.S., which is just probably a kilometer or two away, or if you're on the other side, you stare back towards the city of Asuyas. It's a, a brilliant, beautiful place that declares the glory of God. And for a few bucks a night, you get lakefront property. And uh, so we enjoyed that on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I had opportunity there to, to read, uh, to study, to, to also prepare. So uh, I'm thankful that, um, that Chris has put me on the speaker list. Uh, I must say it's good for me. Uh, it does my heart good. It does my mind good to talk about the things of God. Um, I'm going to ask this question why would any father allow his children to endure hardships or difficulties if he had the power to take them away? And we could ask that question of earthly fathers, and I think it's okay to ask that of our Heavenly Father, that our all-powerful God 
who could intervene, why does he choose not to? Occasionally, um, I've heard the phrase being used, um, helicopter parent. So parents who kind of hover over their children, kind of surround their children, um, perhaps make decisions for their children, and keep on holding the hand of their child far longer than that has any real value for the child. That at some point being a helicopter parent is going to start to backfire. That at some point in our lives we need, even as kids, as teenagers, as 20-year-olds, I'm going to say to begin to figure out life. Which may often mean to accept things that are very challenging Things that we might want to say, Dad, could you take that away? Could you make it all go away? And your dad might say, you need to face it. I think there's some truth there about our Heavenly Father and how he deals with us as his children. And that when Paul speaks about our faith, that which we believe, and when he speaks about our life, he talks about it in terms of, in this chapter, Mike Traz talked about it last Sunday, the beautiful message of our adoption as sons, as daughters. God is our Father. And then in the very same chapter, Paul talks about our willingness to suffer. And it might seem like an odd combination, sonship, and suffering. It would be far more appealing if sonship could be presented as an antidote for suffering. Or freedom from hardships or trials. But it wasn't Paul's personal experience. It certainly wasn't Paul's message. It wasn't the experience of the early church. And I would say it even flies in the face of church history where the church has flourished under persecution. But I think even beyond the idea of being persecuted for your faith, I believe Paul is referring also to those hardships, trials, difficulties, struggles that seem to come as part of life. And that most of us are not immune from them. That there is a reality about the frailty of our human bodies. There's a reality about how we are that is flawed and so we suffer weaknesses there are things about us that are yet to be changed it's true for people apart from faith I would say people who don't 
acknowledge God. They have life that includes hardships and trials and sufferings often. And it is true for those of us who acknowledge Jesus as Lord. I think it's interesting we have called this, um, Little Park has called this series Supernatural. And when I think about that and I think about suffering, part of me goes, you know, it would be really supernatural, God, if you would simply intervene and eliminate all that. That would be supernatural. And there's no question, I believe, that people who would observe the Christian faith, if that was the result, where hardships were no longer there, sickness was no longer there, pain and suffering was no longer there, people would say, then count me in. That sounds good to me. It is not the call of God upon our life. Paul viewed sufferings, trials, hardships, difficulties, I'm going to say as part of the process, part of the journey toward a day when we will receive in full what today we only experience in part. A day is coming when we will have full redemption of these weak bodies, flawed bodies. There is coming a day when we will lay hold of that hope that is still yet to be revealed. And one of those things we hope for is the absence of pain, absence of suffering, absence of sickness in the presence of God. Until then, I think we need to actually see suffering as a gift from God. And Paul says, you know what, I will endure what life brings. Paul says, I will endure seasons of pain, seasons of suffering, and I will endure them as a reminder of the suffering of Jesus on my behalf. And so I am willing to share in his sufferings. So I think it's an interesting mindset in the middle of trial, struggle, hardship, whatever it might be, to have a mindset that says, God, I am willing to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And Paul answers the question, why? Because someday I'm going to partake fully in his resurrection. I doubt that Paul looked for opportunities to suffer. He wasn't seeking them out. But neither did he run from them, neither did he complain about them, or most importantly, see his suffering as a reason to doubt his faith, to doubt his God, or to doubt his sonship. That in his struggles, which were many, Paul knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was a child of the living God. No doubt Paul would have chosen freedom over being imprisoned. 
There's no doubt that Paul would have preferred not to be flogged and beaten. And Paul prayed, so I think this is in 2 Corinthians, that this thorn in his flesh, there's, and if you look that up, you'll have as many possibilities as kind of what your mind can create. But Paul says that God allowed him to have this thorn, this pain, this weakness, this condition in his body that Paul wished God would take away. In fact, he said on three occasions or three times, I pray, God, take that away from me. In other words, Paul prayed what you and I would probably pray in the middle of our struggle. God, take it away. But I also think it's interesting that at some point, Paul stopped praying that prayer. And Paul accepted whatever this thing was, whatever this weakness, this pain, this thorn, he accepted it. Not only that, he accepted it as something that God wanted him to endure. We often pray in the middle of sickness. We often pray in the middle of struggles. Generally, we pray that that pain would be alleviated. That that cancer would be cured. But I think it's very true that as children of God, we do not always understand the will of God in every situation. And there have been people that have said to me, Doug, when you pray for that, you should not say, if that is your will. That somehow God's will was for all that to be taken away. I actually more firmly than ever believe that is not true. And that for us to pray, if it is your will, acknowledges that at times we do not understand the will of God in every situation. And so Paul, I think at some point, you know what, stopped praying for this thorn to be taken away. And it's interesting how he talked about it. He said, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. That's really interesting. In order for me not to succumb to pride, I was given authority in my flesh. And you could have a lot of conversation about the next phrase, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, God is not out of the picture in that reality. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the strength in his weakness is the reality of God's presence. The story of Job in the Old Testament, I think, holds a similar message and a similar attitude. God allows the enemy of Joel's soul. So in that story, you almost have this conversation between God and Satan. Satan is saying, Job only honors you as God because you have treated him so well. You've blessed everything his hands have touched. Take that away and, go, and Job will curse you. And if you know that story, Job is put through a test that can only be described as being extreme, over the top. He could have thrown in the towel. He could have cursed God, which is what the enemy of Job's soul thought he would do. Take it all away and Job will curse you. And Job did not. It did get to a point where Job actually cursed the day he was born. It's like saying, I would rather not have been born, but I will not curse God. And he makes this statement, which I think is such a powerful statement. He says, shall we indeed accept good from God? And not accept adversity. That's why Jesus, I think, talks about this walk that we have as children of God. It's about counting the cost, about picking up your cross. I'm going to say your cross is the life that God has given you to lead. Follow after Jesus. Endure and persevere. Why? In order to one day Fully participate in the resurrection of Jesus. And I think it's reasonable to ask, and I'm not saying that we are called to suffer all the time. I think God has been so gracious to me. I look even in terms of my own family. And I sometimes ask, why, why does my daughter or my son have to suffer? And God, you have not called me personally to suffer much. You have been so good. Why? Last week, Julie read a verse. It's a passage that you might throw out and say, Doug, yeah, but what about this? Doesn't the Bible also speak about this? And it's this Story where Jesus himself is talking, he says, what father, when asked for a fish, would give his child a snake? Or ask for a, you know, some bread, would give his son or daughter a stone? And Jesus says, even our deeply flawed earthly fathers would not do that to their child. And then Jesus says, how much more God our Father 
desires to give good gifts to those who ask him. And there is a whole theology based on those two words, good gifts. And I often think our mind, when we see good gifts, we think about earthly stuff. So don't ask for hamburger and fries. Ask for steak and lobster. That's what God wants for you. Don't ask for a Honda. Go for a BMW. Ask them. Sorry, Jonathan, that was so inappropriate. Jonathan sells Hondas. <laughs> Ask for a life without sickness. That's what God wants to give you. It's not the message, I believe, of this passage. In the physical realm, our fathers seek to give our children what we believe they need and will be of nourishment. And Jesus takes this earthly food-related analogy, I believe, to express a spiritual truth. And I am asking this morning, are we willing to accept that suffering is one of the good gifts? that God has for us to receive. No question, some suffering in our lives is self-induced. We could say, well, I know I'm suffering that because I did this. I know I'm struggling with this because, you know what, I've made these decisions all my life and I struggle with that. But there are sufferings that seem to be, I will say, out of the blue, and we might even say within our human thinking, without justification. Where you might just say, God, why? Or sometimes, why me? And I think that is exactly what Paul is talking about when he talks about our willingness to endure trials of many kinds. The last part of that verse in James, it says, in order for your faith to become tested, for you to endure, and for you to move towards maturity in Christ. And that in all things, and I think this we need to, I think it's so true, that in all things, whether self-induced or out of the blue, God can and does work on our behalf and for our benefit. That you may say, I've made some horrible mistakes. God can use that for your good and for your benefit. And so you might ask if, well then why pray in our sickness? Why pray in our suffering? Why pray in our struggles if, you know, we should just tough it out? Bite the bullet? But I do believe there is merit to quietly accepting adversity. 
as long as in that adversity we continue to seek after and call out to God our Father. We can assume that God is with us when all is well and when life is unfolding as we might hope. Well, you might say, well, things are good. I would say we will know God is real when we meet him in our trials. We will learn to trust God as truly our sustainer and our healer. So I think we need to pray. Knowing that we don't necessarily always know exactly what to pray for. But we need to pray because prayer brings us into the presence of God. And I believe often in our trials and sufferings. Some of which I have seen in such amazing way. That God may reveal his presence in ways we have never experienced it before. That when everything else is stripped away, we come face to face in a way with what matters. We come face to face with what is lasting. We come face to face with Jesus. And we begin to understand him both as a suffering servant, which he was on our behalf, as well as a glorious and exalted king. Secondly, I think we need to pray because God may choose to turn our mourning into dancing. That God may intervene in supernatural ways to bring restoration, to bring healing, to provide a way when there seemed to be no other way. So we call out to God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And then he says this, For our light and momentary troubles. There are many times when you read through the New Testament, you read about Paul's life, you would not describe them as light, and you would probably not describe them as momentary. But so Paul is talking about other hardships, other realities of life. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And it is the unseen that is perfect. There is an unseen reality of which we are going to partake in which all of this will be. Without pain, without sorrow, without sadness. There is something so amazing in this whole conversation about being sons and daughters. About suffering and about prayer. In Romans 8, and I think this is such an amazing verse, we need to underline it, highlight it. I've never really thought about it as, as much as I have the last few weeks. Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says this. I think prior to these verses, there is conversation about suffering. 
And it says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. And I don't know if you've ever felt that. God, I don't know exactly what words to use. I don't even know exactly what I should pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It's not us groaning. It's really not about us doing anything. The Spirit of God is groaning on our behalf in situations where we do not know what to pray for. And he who searches our hearts, God himself, knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, how? In accordance with the will of God. I just think that is such an amazing thing to think about. When you think, I don't know what to say, God. I don't even know what words to use. In fact, I can't find them. Knowing the Spirit of God is praying on our behalf. The writer of that song that you were singing, My Hope Was Built on Nothing Less. The writer of that song knew this idea of suffering so well. It says, when darkness veils his lovely face. He's not talking about nighttime. He's talking about dark times in our life. Veil his lovely face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath his covenant, his blood, Jesus on our behalf. Those truths support me in the whelming flood. And in the, the version where I was looking at in terms of the words, I love the way it was written. It's a little bit different than we sing it. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock. I'll stand. All other things are sinking sand. There's a great uh, passage in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Most of that chapter talks about the resurrection. It talks about that great hope that is still for us to be claimed. And he put it this way. And he's talking about pain, suffering. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead that the body that is sown is perishable. This body, it's perishable. But it's going to be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. Don't know exactly what that means, but I'm going to say it is sown uh, with troubles. It is so with a tendency to do what it wants and not necessarily what God wants. But it says it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is going to be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's going to be raised a spiritual body. 
And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we kind of, that's how we look. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, which is Jesus. We're going to put on that in glory. And in 1 John 3, verse 2, I love the way John writes. He says, dear friends, we are already God's children. We are sons and daughters, as Mike spoke last week. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. Because two things will happen. We will see him as he really is, and the spectacular part, and we shall be like him. I think that's just astounding. That is supernatural. It's a hope that lies within us as children of God. And so the writer of that song ends by saying, when he shall come with trumpet sound, may I then be him and found be found clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. Chris cautioned a couple of weeks ago, sort of the, against the notion of a professional clergy. He talked about us being... Um, I'm trying to. Priesthood of believers. Each one of us. Each one of us are ministers to each other. Love that sermon. I would also caution us against the notion of professional prayers. That in our trials, that somehow we need to seek out those people who know how to pray well. Who can pray with fervor or emotion. Those who may know the right words or phrases to repeat. And I say we need to be careful when we think that way. That at times we, we may simply be taking comfort in our own words. It's interesting that prayer is not listed as, I don't think, as an individual gift of the Spirit of God. But that prayer is a privilege, is a right, and should be and needs to be the practice of every one of us as children of God. There are not professional prayers and just ordinary prayers. We are people who are called to pray. And in our struggles, we need to humbly come before God. Not wrapped in powerful sounding words or spiritual sounding phrases, but we need to come in humility, in our weakness and in our brokenness. And when we don't know what to say, that the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf. And it was interesting, um, two little stories jumped out at me over the last few weeks, and um, I, I think they're appropriate, so I'm going to speak to them. 
I was reminded of that scene in the Old Testament where you have the prophets of Baal. I think there are 450 of them. And you have the prophet Elijah. And Ahab has said to Elijah, you know what? You are the cause of all the trouble in Israel. He, in fact, calls Elijah the troublemaker. And Elijah says to him, I am not the source of your troubles. Your troubles are come because you are bowing down to many different idols. And in the, um, I think it's in the New American Standard, it says, you are bowing down to many bales. And so we have this, what you might want to call a spiritual contest. And if you read it, it's astounding. So we have an altar built for Baal. You have an altar built for the true and living God. And that the one, the God who lights the fire will show himself to be the one true God. And so we have the prophets of Baal. It is loud. And Elijah actually tells him, you need to shout louder. He might be asleep. Baal might not be hear, able to hear you. And so you have what I would call a spectacle. And if you read it, it becomes a bloody spectacle because they are cutting their bodies as they're calling out to God. And nothing happens either except for the spectacle. And then you have Elijah. And if you know the story, the first thing he says to the people, bring me water. And he douses everything that is on that altar. It's like he dampens it. It's like he soaks it. He calls for it three times. And then Elijah just humbly calls out to God. To reveal himself. And God brings fire from heaven. No spectacle. New Testament. There's no question. There were professional prayers. We might say the Pharisees. Would see themselves as professional prayers. That they did love to stand. In the public square. Praying long, spiritual-sounding prayers. And Jesus says to his disciples, do not pray like that. Go into your closet. And God who hears you in private will reward you openly. We don't have to try to generate fervor, generate passion. We need to humbly, in our weakness, come before God. I have generally stayed away from sharing personal uh, stories, but I want to share two this morning. And I only share them for the glory of God. I don't share them because I think you need to copy anything about them. Our son was spared death in a horrible accident in 1998, broadsided in a vehicle by a semi who went through a red light at the intersection of Highway 97 and Highway 33. He spent time in an induced coma. 
They had inserted tubes through his side. They told us immediately that he had suffered severe brain damage. And so they were cautioning us about the fact that our son not only may not live, but if he lives, he may have significant problems. So he spent time, we spent time in ICU. We spent time in the step-down unit. We spent time in the rehab ward. And we spent time in the next two years slowly watching God heal our son. And today he's a father of two, and he's a middle school teacher, and I will admit there were times in the hospital where I did not think that was possible. During that time in the hospital, I needed to find a place to pray. I needed to find some kind of a sanctuary in that hospital to call out for God, and my sanctuary became a hospital washroom. I would simply go in there. The only prayer I could think of praying was, God, would you bring my son back? It was the only words I remember saying, and I remember being in tears. Often. I did not know what to pray. My words were few, and I'm going to say they felt weak. But I believe in those situations, the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf because we do not know exactly what to say. Prayers of the Spirit on our behalf are in line with the will of God. And God chose to work things out for good. So I give glory to God for that. Two years ago, and you will have shared this as a church. Um, I was called away from a staff meeting at church and told to head home because our daughter-in-law had complications during the delivery of their second child. And uh, the baby was in serious trouble and was helicoptered to Children's Hospital. And placed in an induced coma with sensors attached to every part of her little body. And there would be times, and I'm sure this is true for other people who were there, but there would be times when I would be alone with her. And all I could think of doing is putting my hand on her little arm and praying, God, could you bring life into this little body? I didn't know what else to say, didn't know what else to speak. And I remember the day my son and daughter-in-law asked to speak to me in private. They had just had a meeting with one of the professional workers at BC Children's, and the conversation was about potentially ending, unplugging, or perhaps the possibility of having a child that was essentially brain dead. And so they called me in as a dad and just to tell me. And I, I, I 
don't know exactly what I said to them. I just said, whatever you choose, I will love you and support you. The very next day, signs of life became to into that little girl. That somehow in God's will and God's wisdom, this was a little girl that God wanted to live. And just a few weeks ago, we celebrated her second birthday, and I have a, a, a picture in my little drive here, but I chose not to put it on. I say this only because at times when we are in struggles and pain and things we do not understand, we need to admit we don't really know how to pray. And I take such comfort in knowing that in those situations, God is working on our behalf. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I was thinking of this uh, as, as we were in Asuyas, that as people of faith, we, in a very real way, have opened a door wide to an amazing spiritual reality. It's a spiritual reality where the spirit of the living God is at work on our behalf. It is a spiritual reality where Jesus, our Lord and Savior, seated at the right hand of God, is interceding on our behalf. I think what a glorious thing to rest on when you feel like, you know what, I don't know what to say. That God is working for our good and for our benefit. So consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and ultimately the salvation of your souls and the perfection of heaven. God, I just want to thank you for these words. Father, would the truth of your word sink deeply into our lives that would allow us to truly live accordingly. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.